This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we're excited to have a brand new guest here and a pastor's perspective today on what's happening in the church and the culture and in our country. We'll get to that in just a minute. Father, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to talk about things that matter, that encourage our hearts, that challenge our perspective. And Lord, help us always see things with that eternal and biblical worldview. We love you. Thank you for giving us purpose and a mission that never changes. And give us wisdom on how to respond to what's happening around us and always give us a love for people that uh, sometimes are really unlovable, maybe people that hate us because of what we believe. But we know Jesus went through far worse, and we look to him for our help. He is our strength. We love you and give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we have a special guest, Shane Eidelman. He's the founder and lead pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Lancaster, California, and now Leona Valley, California. He began the Westside Christian Radio Network in 2019, and some great pastors and teachers on there. He's the author of eight books, including his timely 2020 book, If My People, In Case of National Emergency, Read This. Shane Edelman, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. Welcome, Dave. I so appreciate your prayer this morning because that's really what we need. Oh, you know, boy. prayer is going to move the hand of God, and prayer gets our hearts right. Yeah, we sure do. We need to hit our knees and uh, stop talking about it and do it. Uh, I appreciate what you've been doing out there in Southern California. One of the rare voices, the voice one of a voice of truth and a bold witness. Um, you've got an uphill battle with the government out there. Can you give us a quick update? on what's going on as far as the church restrictions due to COVID and what Emperor Newsom is uh, trying to do out there. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Actually, not only are we in California, we're in northern Los Angeles County. Mm. Um, So I've got, for example, I'm sure you've heard, you know, Jack Hibbs. He's a friend of mine, but he's about an hour and a half uh, south, and that would be a different county, Riverside County. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but, but John MacArthur is about an hour from us. He's also in L.A. County. So he, those two guys really motivated me. Um, and I've been telling our pastors locally, if you don't open, and this is August, if you don't open now, you're not going to open wow. uh, with the second wave coming. So what's happening is, um, yes, well, a couple things. You can be encouraged because a lot of people are just tired and fed up. They see the false numbers. They see the fake narratives. You know, there's a lot of talk out there about a, a global reset, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, the um, uh, agendas at work here in, in not only California, but the United States. So I think a lot of people are encouraged or standing up for it. We've been having a prayer meeting at our church every day mm. uh, at 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., even on Thanksgiving, we're, this whole month, pro- probably into December, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. every single day. Uh, we've got Sunday services uh, where you know, we've had people just flocking from all over uh, coming to those. And, you know, you want to be gracious and loving, and you don't want to just come across rebellious. But at the same time, God has given the church that voice of truth. And I think that's what we're talking about a little bit today. Yes. Um, so in a nutshell, yeah, so in a nutshell, there are, uh, actually as of tomorrow, uh, restaurants can't even have outside tents. Wow. So they are, I mean, you're... The, the economy, I don't know how it's going to survive, honestly, yeah. uh, especially here in California. So uh, we're continuing to be the church. I mean, if we have a, you know, just a massive amount of the hospitals being flooded and, you know, we got to we got to use wisdom, uh, but at the same time, discern what the truth is and what does God want us to do? Because ultimately, with Governor Newsom, for example, at least how we look at it as an eldership team, the, the higher authority is the Constitution. Amen. So if he's if he's. If he's in actually, if he's in rebellion to the Constitution, we how how do you submit to a lower authority that is actually outside the will of the Constitution, where the also the president has said churches are essential. Um, so it's a very delicate act there, and I know there's a I think what is it 85 percent of the churches have not opened up. So wow. we are living in unprecedented times right now. Wow, I I like to say we've been tested as Christians and as the church in America by a virus. And can you yeah. imagine, uh, uh, J- Peter, James, John, can you imagine the early church 
in Acts and the Apostle Paul, can you imagine how they would respond? Can you imagine how our founding fathers would respond when they went to war for religious freedom? Um, Shane, we're going to get to your article, uh, if we have time, an open letter to silent pastors, Fight or Fade Away. But you wrote a book called In Case of National Emergency, read this, and it's called If My People. I want to quote you and then let you just go, brother. We must stop confusing God's patience with his approval. Open churches and preach with conviction from pulpits again. Boldness, while fully surrendering everything to God, is our only hope. There is no plan B. So, Shane Eidelman, what's plan A and what should we be doing? Well, it's funny. I want to just springboard off what you said just a minute ago about a virus that's bringing the church to her knee. Okay. You know, if you listen, I don't know where, I wish I would have found the link, but Jim Garlow actually interviewed David Barton, you know, historian David Barton. Yes. And there have been, every 20, 25 years or so, pandemics like this, which I don't know if this is a pandemic. If you look at the numbers, 99% survival rate, you know, so we're we're just really, I think, overstepping here. But you know, he interviewed and David Barton how the founders, how America handled uh, this type of thing throughout history, and so it's out there for people to see. I mean, they can see it's it's not just a, um, you know, it's not just a one-time thing. And the reason the book I think is so relevant, people can actually find it on ShaneEidelman.com, ShaneEidelman.com, and to show this is not about promoting a book, making money. There are free downloads of every single one of my books uh, on that website. Wow, you just okay. Download it, uh, download it on Smashwords, I think it is, and it's a free download. Now, other places won't let us go free, so you know we can't do that. But but they allow that. It's just get it out there. There's no there's no cost whatsoever. But the book, if my people think about this, the context, and people crack me up. I get emails. Well, Shane, that was for Israel. That doesn't apply to us today. So. Are you telling me if America humbles herself and prays and seeks God and turns from her wicked ways, God won't hear? I mean, come on. The mm. principle is absolutely relevant. But the context is, God said, when I bring, talking to Solomon, when I bring pestilence, when I bring drought, when I bring famine, if my people who are called by my name. And so the article, though, you're referencing, that was kind of a side trail, is, you know, my heart is for pastors, of course, and I'm not some, you know, like rebellious in your face. This article, this book, this stance that we're taking is coming from extended times with God mm. in prayer and worship. I mean, I'm up at 334 in the morning, and I'm not just saying that to say it. I'm not actually boasting in that. I'm saying through that brokenness mm. and through that humility and through that utter dependence upon God, boldness is coming forth through fasting. We've been fasting. We've been starving the physical appetite. And so I, I'm actually becoming more bolder. You would think it would be the opposite, but the more I read the media, the more you listen to CNN, the more they listen to pastors, well, let's close our churches because our insurance doesn't cover it, then the weaker I become for the things of God. So I think a lot of these pastors, what the reason for the article is to wake them up. You need to get back into the prayer closet. You need to get back into God's Word and let the Holy Spirit speak boldly through you. And that's what's not happening. We are capitulating. And the pastors in my area and those I've talked to, the number two reasons are, well, the government says we can't or open the governor. And we also, are, we will lose our, you know, liability insurance. We won't be covered. Now, what would the early church say about liability insurance? I can wow. tell you this. They're probably, <laughs> for 1,900 years, the church did not have liability insurance coverage. So we're just seeing, and I hate to say this, but we are seeing, you know, when a vessel is hit, What's inside spills out. Mm. So the cowardliness that we are seeing, the cowardliness that we are seeing is simply a reflection of what has already been going on in the heart. And again, I'm not saying this with a rebellious in your face. We submitted just like everyone else did initially. But when you start following the Bill Gates scenarios and you look at the numbers being altered, I talked to nurses in three different hospitals in Los Angeles County, how numbers are being skewed, how doctors are getting paid more, hospitals are paid more, and how they're giving people who die with COVID but not of COVID. Okay, catch this. Yep. They They had COVID, but they died of the flu or pneumonia or heart disease, but they're putting down COVID as death because they had it, although it didn't kill them. So you see just the the total manipulation of this virus, and it really brings up inside of us a righteous indignation 
of wanting to get the truth out there. What is it going to take, Shane? Our backs are already up against the wall, but it just still seems like the church is not engaging. I remember I got a quote from one of your articles or, or somewhere on your website that Jim Garlow said, bold pastors are nearly extinct. It would be much easier to play church and make everyone feel good. The church, as we know it, will be functionally illegal very soon. I know you're concerned about what's happening in America with the uh, just the infringements on our freedoms, particularly religious freedoms, and how the church is really losing ground, and we have been. And you would think COVID-19 would be a test that we would say, all right, let's be the church, but we're just not seeing that. What's it going to take? You know, and that's kind of why I wrote the article, because we need to spark that bold—and it only comes from the prayer closet, amen? Mm, I mean, amen. time with God, because what is a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Not weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> boldness. Boldness. That's a fruit of the Spirit. So, um, you know, and I guess I was, I'm was i encouraged, but also I can get discouraged. A, a few months back, Jack Hibbs set up a conference call, or a Zoom call, and uh, in my area, Pastor Paul Chapel with Lancaster uh, Baptist Church, you know, he's he's motivated me as well. I mean, they're they're fighting this as well. We had 300 pastors on this call in California, and we committed to open. I think that was back on Pentecost Sunday, May 31st. And uh, many have not closed, but many have, and and many are not opening that said they would. And so you see, you, you know, it can be very discouraging. But the encouraging thing is, God will move in a remnant of people. God gets, he, okay, here's my remnant. You plus God is the majority. So one church following God is the majority. Hmm. And um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but back, what, what's it going to take? <laughs> it's going to take a national awakening again. That's what our heartbeat is. And God, would you not revive your people again so that we can rejoice in you? Where's that culture to veil? Where's that call to the, to the prayer meetings and to worship and to seek God? And then from that is going to come a national awakening. It's our only hope, I believe, a revival. God brought it through Whitfield. He brought it through the New Hebrides revivals and the awakenings in Welsh. And uh, throughout history, in the darkest moments, God will bring that, that spark of revival. Um, you know, it depends where it's going to go with the Trump election and the Biden re-election. I mean, we could see the book of Revelation really fast-forwarded, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as well. So, But I think in all this, the Church is not given a spirit of fear. We are given a spirit of, of boldness and of liberty and of sound of mind. So mm -hmm. I think, I think God, it has to be a national awakening to really awaken these churches. And I, I'm thankful that you make the point in uh, this article I read um, on your book about Second Chronicles 7.14, it is a principle that can be very well applied to America, even though it was specific for Israel, but let, don't let that turn people off, because it, this is something that we need to—you say, is it a bad thing if America humbles herself, prays, seeks gods, and repents? No, these are principles that we need to follow up on. I know you're having a church uh, prayer gathering every morning. I see around the country, I don't hear a lot about it, we tried one at our church, a church I was attending about three, four years ago, and we were just trying every other Wednesday night, and we would get between five and ten people to show up. Uh, Shane, here we are. We've got in a national emergency in some sense, and people just still are not driven to their knees. That's why I'm just so concerned about this time. As you are, and as you rightly say, um, things could change and shift radically if Joe Biden is elected and certified president. I want to just take a little uh, turn and go there because you brought that up, and I quoted Jim Garlow. You were in a call uh, within the last couple of days with Jim Garlow, he, and uh, you had a video that you put out, Critical Election Update. Would you share just a few of your thoughts and concerns and also answer this question? What, how do you respond to people who have been saying for a week or two, even Christians or conservatives that have been saying for a week or two, well, there's really no proof of massive voter fraud, so maybe we should just move on as a country, don't you think? Yeah, let me tackle all three of those quickly. Sure. Um, the, the, uh, the, the people who are saying there's no proof of voter fraud are simply watching the wrong news sources. Amen. <laughs> they are not. They are not. They are not looking at what really is happening. I mean, let's just briefly run this down. There's what over 1,200 affidavits have been signed 
Even Democrats signed these affidavits saying shenanigans happened. Poll workers were not allowed in. Numbers have been skewed. You look at this Dominion software that it can actually change the votes of millions of people. And you see in CNN, you see on different news organizations the night of the election how Trump's up, what, two, three, four hundred thousand, and mm-hmm. then now he's down. And, yeah. and, now, and not only that, you have 12,000 poll workers have come forward and said, look at what is happening. I mean, it's just it's just amazing. The uh, actually the evidence out there is overwhelming. It's compelling. And I think that's why you saw Sidney Powell and Giuliani distance themselves, because she is going after, I believe, the Dominion and the server aspect. He's going after the fake um, the the processing where they actually would switch votes in the processing centers and bring in van loads of votes for Biden. I mean, how can you have 120,000 votes for Biden and none for Trump come in? And the, I mean, it's just, and, and, and I think Christians don't realize, well, let's just, you know, there's no proof. Let's just concede. When this administration, if this administration comes in, the church as we know it is over. And you might say, well, uh, that's no big deal to me. If, you, if you're a solid believer in Jesus Christ and you will name the name of Christ and not capitulate, then yeah, persecution's coming to you as well. Now, I think we should be ready for persecution, but we're never called to not fight for the truth and not expose the unfruitful works of darkness. Um, but also springboarding off what you said, the reason the prayer meeting is not popular is because it's powerful and it's difficult. Leonard Ravenhill said it's the thermo- thermometer or thermostat of the church. Mm. It really gauges the health of the church. And you're right. This is, this is amazing. I just talked to our elders about this. I don't know of anybody needing benevolence. At our church, I mean, there's a few here and there, but nothing like, you know, it has over 10 years during this COVID. Nobody seems to need benevolent. Why? Because the government is paying them often more than what they're making. You've got, you know, uh, unemployment. You've got checks coming in. So for many people, it really hasn't gotten that bad. They're sitting at home, gaining weight, watching Netflix. (laughs) And, you know comfortable comfortable christianity has set in mm. but what happens when all that starts to falter and fade that's when you'll see i think the prayer meetings making a comeback when actually they should be making the comeback now to prevent disaster to fight against this, um, the unfruitful works of darkness so if i missed anything let me know no it's almost a catch-22 though shane we've got two minutes before we have to take our first break and because some people don't want to go to church to attend the prayer meeting because of their concerns about COVID. Some are not wearing masks. There's no social distancing. There are some people who are honestly concerned about that. Uh, How would you encourage them? I mean, yes, they can pray at home uh, by themselves, but aren't we uh, instructed to gather? Well, yeah, two things come to mind on that. Uh, The prayer meeting often is not heavily attended. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so you can you can keep your six feet if that's what you want. You can you can wear the mask (laughs) if that's what you want. Good point. Um, But, you know, I know you got to go to commercial break. Maybe we can fully exhaust us a little bit more then. But, you know, here's here's what we're saying. I'm more scared of catching the virus than I am of seeking God. Now, I'm not saying not use wisdom, you know, pray at home. Praise God for that. But there is something about God's people coming. Think about this. God's people are coming together all over the world in, in, in persecuted areas where they could go to jail. Mm, and yeah. we're here, well, I, I could possibly get a virus that has a 99% success rate or survival rate versus not going to a prayer meeting. So to me, it's just, it's really, um, I guess my mind is not thinking along those lines. For sure. Exactly. Um, we're with Shane Eidelman today, and we're just uh, blessed to have him for a little bit longer this morning. He's pastor of uh, Westside Christian Fellowship in Lancaster, California. You can get info on him at shaneidelman.com and his book, If My People, In Case of National Emergency. Read this. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the coronavirus and how that is affecting the church and how we can respond. Also, His article, An Open Letter to Silent Pastors, a few choice quotes to share with you when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Missed a recent show? Catch up anytime on our free app, q90fm.com slash app. Click on podcasts. Here's David Fiorazzo. Our guest in California, your article, Shane, An Open Letter to Silent Pastors, Fight or Fade Away, (laughs) strongly 
the pulpit is the problem, and it has been over 50 to 75 years in America. And you say the pulpit regulates the spiritual condition of God's people, which affects the nation. A lukewarm, sex-saturated saturated culture, culture, and church simply reflects the lack of conviction in the pulpit as well as the pew. And, would you, and I'd just love for you to, love to expound on that. I mean, you can just look, you know, you know the early church fathers, like Polycarp, Irenaeus, Jeff, Chris, Chris, and, um, you go to Augustine, and then you keep going, uh, Tyndale, John Hunt, uh, 1500s, 1400s, 1300s, mm-hmm. and then the Reformation. The God always used the pulpit, right? The preacher, mm-hmm. uh, the proclamation of his truth. That's how you, that you're the, Martin Luther King Jr. said it, the church is the conscience of the nation. So <clears throat> throughout history, God uses the, the pulpit, spirit-filled uh, believers to preach his truth, and that's how change occurs. So now America, our comfort and our blessing has become our curse. And it was, mm. I think it was Alex de, Tol- de Tocqueville, I mean, it's at least accredited to him. I don't know if he said it exactly, but he came to America from France looking and trying to find out where is this greatness coming from? And it says he searched all over, you know, boundless prairies and fertile fields and our harbors, gold mines. But he says it was not until I went to the churches of America and I heard her pulpits aflamed with righteousness that I understood the secret to her success. Mm-hmm. America's great because she is good, and if she ever, ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. So it, it, the idea is, is men filled with the Spirit of God, preaching with boldness under the power and conviction of the Holy Spirit to turn a nation back to Him. Mm-hmm. So when you lack that, when there is a political correctness in the pulpit, and now the popular thing is to apologize for being white, uh, mm-hmm. Not really say, not really talk about political issues. You know, come on, Shane. That's a little, you know, that's a little offending. And and this nice, polite gospel where you're walking around on eggshells without the power and authority of Scripture, and you will rarely see lives change. You will not see revival come from that type of of, of uh, complacency. Um, so, do you think the 501c3, a nonprofit status? Uh, is that a? It, has it been a blessing? Is it a curse? Uh, a combination? Because is that one of the reasons that some pastors? Now this goes back to 1954 and the Johnson Amendment and the squelching of uh, you know really free speech as far as churches are concerned. But really, it really didn't limit what pastors could say uh, legally according to the Constitution. But the ignorance of that law kind of uh, fed into the fear. Yeah, a couple of thoughts that I have. Those who are truly, you know, preaching the truth, they, that, that really does not phase them. Um, there was actually something called Pulpit Freedom Sunday. Yes. I don't know if you heard of that. Absolutely. Five years ago, five or six years ago, and about 2,000 of us sent our sermons to the IRS <laughs> where, we, where we broke it, all the rules, supposedly the rules. And we, no one ever heard back from the IRS because I think they know they can't take this uh, to the courts, uh, it'll be a First Amendment issue, and the Johnson Amendment will be repealed, of course. Mm-hmm. That's why the, the, the Trump administration or those in leadership are so important. They are appointing judges that will set the course of our nation for a long time to come. So, no, I don't think it affects any of us who are, you know, wanting to preach the truth. What it is, though, it's an excuse. So yes. those pastors who are who are not spending time with God, they're not humble, they're actually very arrogant, uh, they, dis- they, they interpret the word based on their opinion and based on, you know, popular opinion, those guys hide behind the excuse. They hide behind it, mm-hmm. and they say, well, hey, I can't do it, I don't want to break the law. And you're right, the Johnson Amendment is actually, there's a lot of leeway there. Yes. You can talk about issues, you can talk about issues, you just can't endorse from the pulpit a, a, a certain candidate. That's if right. If I read it correctly, that's all yeah, you so, can I do. Mean, yeah, I mean, come on. This is, <laughs> I mean, it, but really, it's just a smokescreen. It's yeah. an excuse not to preach the difficult truths. And isn't it the preaching of the difficult truths that wake us up? Tell Isaiah and Jeremiah, and, and well, while we're out, Ezekiel and Joel and Amos <laughs> and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Baca, tell them, hey, don't <laughs> preach the difficult things. Hey, come on now, Shane, you're getting biblical <laughs> on us. Um, I know. Yeah, I know. You, you say in this article, we don't need more marketing plans, demographic studies, or giving campaigns. We need men 
filled with the Spirit of God. And you quote Al Whittinghill, and this is pretty sobering. Um, He said, without the heartbeat of prayer, the body of Christ will resemble a corpse. The church is dying on her feet because she is not living on her knees. And this goes back to prayer, repentance, seeking God's face and turning from our wicked ways. How could you say we're not a wicked nation that allows the legal murder of preborn lives of babies in the womb. We, it, it's legal. It's okay. That's fine. Millions every year. You know, it's, it's like they continue to, oh, let's just play the political game and see if we can get a couple laws changed here and there, and we can make a little bit of progress. But it's illegal, according to God's Word. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a big hot-button issue. But not only that, the, the promotion of transgenderism, you know, when, when um, Vice President, or not Vice President, uh, what they call President-elect, I don't call him that, but Joe Biden said <laughs> an eight-year-old can change his or her sex, yep. and the, 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 the pushing of socialization and, and, and socialism, communism, the, you know, the involvement of China, I mean, you look down the list, it's just amazing. All, so many things go against God's Word. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're seeing, too, is a lot of Christians who are not, um, well, a lot of Christians who say they are, aren't. So that's, that's half the problem right there. Yes. And then the, the other, they're so maybe following, I mean, I'm, I'm just amazed at how many Christians I know get their information from CNN and the Huffington Post and all these places that are, they will just outright lie. Yep. They will change the headlines. They will change the headlines to make the president look like he's a fool. I mean, it's just amazing the, the um, uh, I don't know what the, the lack of wisdom um, that is happening and what's going on. It's amazing. But anyway, I don't know if I answered your question. I got on a rabbit trail. That's okay. Uh, their rabbit trails are welcome because uh, you're making some great points. I want to go back to something that's on the uh, book page uh, for If My People, in case of national emergency, read this. It says, because this is what we're talking about. These are the headlines dominating the news cycle and filling our social media. It is called psychological warfare, and the goal is to elevate stress to the point of exhaustion, and that's how a lot of people feel today, and then fuel fear so that people lose hope and turn to an authoritarian government to, quote, protect them. Shane, that is spot on, and this is what we see happening. How can Christians resist this or raise awareness about this? Well, you can even read it. I mean, that a lot of that comes from the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> you know, none of this is new. Mm-hmm. Um, they would wear down people and wear them down. I mean, we see this even in the Bible about people. That one example Jesus gave of that woman going to the judge, going to the judge, going to the judge. And finally, you know, so it's the same thing. It's it wear down the people, wear them down. They finally say, okay, okay, give us Biden. Give us this. Let us just just give us that so we'll go back to peace. It's a way of, of compromising. That's why you have to spend a lot more time in God's Word than on social media. Amen. Uh, because for pastors, this is one of the most difficult seasons we've ever been in, by far. You know, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And so, you know, so we can relate to the stress. Um, but people have to be spending a lot more time in God's Word, looking to His truth, and that is what builds them up and strengthens them in the midst of the storm. You don't get worn out uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. You go into battle prepared and armed for what we've been called for such a time as this. So I'm actually encouraged, I'm actually strengthened, spend a lot of time in the book of Psalms. But yes, the goal, that's why I hope people realize there is a second wave coming, I believe. Uh, 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 where they want to shut down the economy again to finally be that nail in the coffin. And especially now with Trump trying to uh, show uh, where this where this uh, election went completely haywire, I believe he got close to 80 million votes, the highest of any president ever. Yeah, it I was heard. a landslide. Mm-hmm. So closing the economy, closing possibly the Internet, Twitter, you're, you're, there's, you're, I hope America's already for a, a mass civil war. I don't know what that looks like. And I'm not an alarmist. I'm not trying to scare people. But we need to look at the reality of what is happening, and we can only we have to be built up in God's word. That is our only foundation right now. So yes, they are using psychological warfare. Even when I read, for example, the Drudge Report for five minutes, I'm like, oh my lord, <laughs> the sky is falling. Yeah, what's going on? Oh, I'm so depressed. But then I remember this is lies from the father of lies, and we yeah. got to get back into God's word. Yes, we do. We've got to combat the activist media. That's what they are. 
today. It's a shame. Um, we can talk about that all day, but we don't have enough time here this morning. Uh, Shane, in First Thessalonians 5, you said something that made me think what people want to feel secure, and the only security we have is in Christ as Christians in, in this world. But it says, uh, for when they say uh, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as a woman with child, and they shall not escape. So I, you, we hear these cries, peace and safety, whatever will bring us peace, staying home, okay, wearing a mask, okay, doing this, doing that, not going to church, not gathering. Oh, we just want peace. And with all the stress, the high levels of stress we've had over this last year, um, I can understand how some people just want to check out. They're overwhelmed. So this, it is natural to want peace and safety or security, but I think we better be looking at it the right way, shouldn't we? Absolutely. And if I said Second Thessalonians in an article on that, I might need to change it. I think that's more um, in Gospels, Jesus' words and different things. But, um, yes, this is just an indication of where people's hearts are at. And that's why the mask debate is so heated right now, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you you got to wear masks and you got to – and, you know, I, I had myopericarditis in my 20s. Um, it was what? inflammation of the heart muscle and spent time in the hospital. And the doctor said, I'm very susceptible to upper, upper respiratory viruses from here on out because wow. it goes to my heart muscle. Mm. And so every time I get a sore throat, you know, oh, here comes the fear. So I can relate to people. Mm. But we have to, uh, you know, staying home and wearing masks and, and not coming out is not loving our neighbor all the time. Loving our neighbor is helping them avoid suicide rebuilding marriages, getting them off of addiction, and opening churches where the church can be that voice of truth. Mm. Um, of course, with God's wisdom and, and in God's power and strength in the Holy Spirit. Um, but yeah I, yeah, I totally agree that, um, you know, perilous times are coming. We yes. don't know where we're at in, in biblical history, um, but we do know that we have to be prepared. The only way that you're prepared is to spend time in God's Word, fully surrender your life to Jesus Christ, be filled with the Spirit, and then from that comes boldness. I mean, how could martyrs go to be hanged or, or uh, burned at the stake? I mean, God forbid, I hope that you know, doesn't go that direction, but how were they prepared for this? Wow. They were filled with God's Spirit because their focus was on eternity, realizing that this life is but a vapor, Amen. but it's temporal. Uh, and it really shows where our hearts are at when we're more concerned about the things of this world. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Lord, forgive us. His loving kindness is everlasting. His mercy endures forever, but his patience will not last forever. There's a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that says, the church was silent when she should have cried out. Uh, Now that, of course, he was one of the few pastors who resisted Hitler and, uh, you know, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And that's true today, too. We can see what's happening in America you wrote an article. I just want to get to this. We have four more minutes left. Um, it says, COVID, here we go again. Hype or health concern? And you say, most folks agree that the virus is real, but our unprecedented response to it has been as alarming as it has been life-altering. Uh, please share some more thoughts on that, Shane. Yeah, and again, I want to make sure I'm not minimizing even one life that passes away, you know, due to COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, we've got to realize that we are shutting down the economy. We are creating all this confusion over something that has a very, very high survival rate, like I said, 99%. And I don't know if a lot of people um, realize um, that I I think close to 350,000, make sure to check this if you quote it, (laughs) 350,000 or so die every year in nursing homes already. And so that's a big push. You know, the COVID is in nursing homes. It's taking so many lives. But we have to remember that in a nursing home, a person is already frail. So anything, it can be very detrimental. And then we see what's happening in children. Uh, Many people I've known, my family had it in Idaho. Many people I've known have had it. They've got through it. You know, and and so I think we just need to be careful and look at this. Okay, what is the what is the big picture? Yes, it's a health concern. Yes, we should be careful, use wisdom. But at the same time, how is it using wisdom when you are, you are killing people financially, you're creating fear in our children, psychological fear that could last a lifetime. Marriages, although the divorce rate isn't high, the, the spousal abuse, I don't know if people, you know, they always say, well, look, the divorce is down a little bit. Yeah, probably because they can't go to court and file. But <laughs> spousal abuse, spousal abuse and domestic violence is skyrocketing. Addiction, what were the recent statistics? Alcoholism up 
300% Vicodin's prescription drugs. We are dying spiritually and physically. How many people now are overweight and their health is more at risk? And now you're going to go into massive amounts of heart disease, cardiovascular problems. Our healthcare system cannot support it. So I think we have to weigh everything equally on the, on the balance scales of the, the survival rate, what is this really, and what what is it causing? Because remember, I think, I don't remember exactly who said it, maybe the president, but the cure is actually going to be worse than the problem, meaning how we're handling it is actually going to cause a lot more disaster and destruction than the virus itself. Amen. And we obviously don't have time to get into just what this, the isolation the all these regulations, what the the fear, the the depression, the increased um, everything from you know pot to alcohol to pornography to all these other things that people are going to for for whatever for release for answers, but there's no answers there. That these are just temporary uh, fixes, if you can even call them that. But I want to bring back before we end in a minute and a half here, Shane, um, at the end of your article, back to the article on uh, an open letter to silent pastors. Um, um, you bring it right back to Zechariah. Uh, Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. It's a life-changing promise wherever you're at in life. And for Christians, we've been maybe living for the world, a little lukewarm. We can still return. Your closing thoughts, Shane. Well, that's exactly a great point. My closing thoughts would be, if you don't like what I'm saying, it's probably because you need to hear what I'm saying. God brings conviction to change our hearts. And, you know, we're concerned about if my people, national awakening, did you know that starts with personal awakening? Mm. God revives a person who starts a prayer meeting, who revives a church, who revives a city, who revives a state, who revives a nation. So it all begins with us privately. If my people is a individual call for you to humble yourself to pray like never before, put God on the, on the front burner, not the back burner, make him the priority and seek him with all of your heart and strength and, re, and return and repent from besetting sin that is destroying the lives of so many people. Amen, brother. ShaneEidelman.com. you got to check out his book, his articles. Brother, keep fighting the good fight. Thank you for all the work that you do. God bless you and have a nice Thanksgiving. You too. Thank you, David. All right. Uh, when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, well, the first Thanksgiving. We're going to talk about being thankful. It's so important to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. And we'll answer the question, have we forgotten God? Well, there's solutions to that. On Stand Up For The Truth, that's next. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. How did the Pilgrims get their name? Uh, did you know that they were first called Separatists? It was a congregation that uh, dissented from the Church of England. And I believe the Pilgrims, or the name Pilgrims, uh, was, uh, came about in 1840. Three different groups of people came on the Mayflower. Saints, meaning members of the Separatist congregation. Strangers or uh, members of the Church of England who were emigrating for economic reasons, and also crew members on the Mayflower. Um, they were aboard the ship, and they uh, were contracted to work in the Plymouth Colony for a year or longer. So separatists. We'll get into that in a minute, God willing, if we have time. But want to talk about the first Thanksgiving. But before we do, um, yes, the answer to the question we asked before our break, we have forgotten God. It's official. I share a little bit of this um, every year, I think. Uh, Abraham Lincoln did a great Thanksgiving proclamation in 1863. And actually, he did two proclamations that year. Earlier in that year, if you look at American history, he called for a national time of repentance. He called a time of humiliation and prayer and humbling ourselves before God. So he called for a time of national fasting and prayer and then he did the Thanksgiving proclamation later. I believe the first one in 1863 was in the month of March. But Psalm 80, verse 3 says, O God, restore us and cause your face to shine upon us, and we will be saved. Uh, many people ask the question, how did we allow our country to get to the place, decline really, to the place spiritually and um, morally it is today? What happened to our biblical values? 
Well, it goes back quite a ways, but I want to quote John Stott, who once said, we should not ask, what's wrong with this world? For that diagnosis has already been given. Rather, we should ask, what has happened to the salt and light? And there were Christians during the time of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, there were churches. It was, time, it was much simpler during those times. As you know, the Civil War uh, broke out. And um, how did that get to the point where the t- life was simpler, families were valued in society, marriage, uh, children, educating children on the Bible? Fast forward to today, and you've got a culture in which sin is celebrated and promoted. You can't help but think God's judgment is right around the corner. Corner, A society that used to teach children about God and claim Christianity, uh, we're okay, half of our nation at least, is okay uh, with abortion. Um, the activist judges, of course, the Trump administration has appointed a lot of federal judges, thank God, more constitutionalists and conservatives. The LGBT locomotive is steamrolling through the nation. I'm seeing these advertisements already on TV, commercials, even on, uh-oh, Lifetime and Hallmark for two gay men getting married. or you can In the ads, in the commercials leading up to all their Christmas movies, uh, you got girl meets boy, and they say, and boy meets boy, and then you see uh, two men kissing. Uh, I say this, hopefully it's not offensive to you because nine-year-olds are seeing this if they're watching primetime television. Um, in 1862, going back to the time of Lincoln, in the Atlantic Monthly, this poem uh, became perhaps the best-known Civil War song, and it is a well-loved American patriotic anthem. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free while God is marching on. 1862, the very next year, President Abraham Lincoln, probably the, one of the most well-versed presidents in the Holy Bible, gave a famous proclamation which he mentioned America's need for softened hearts and appreciation of God's providence in this land. And he called it a year filled with blessings on fruitful fields. And this is in the midst of a divided nation with the Civil War. And I want to just quote part of his proclamation. Um, he said, And insomuch as we know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people? He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. This was 1863, friends. He said, We have forgotten the gracious hand which had preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace too proud to pray to the God that made us, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Imagine what Abraham Lincoln or our founders would say if they could see our nation today. So let's go back and revisit a little bit of, of history. We only have about five minutes or so. But um, the Church of England was uh, becoming very powerful in the 1500s, obviously 1600s, uh, headed by the King and Queen of England. 
all those with religious convictions were under the authority of the bishops of the Church of England. Um, several people, several hundred people, I'm sorry, were having great difficulty in worshiping with freedom. So they began to speak out little by little. It just takes a handful of people, and then it multiplies. It encourages others to speak out. Uh, what did what they speak out regarding? Their commitment to Jesus Christ and their desire to follow only the writings of scriptures, not the writings of a church. Interesting. And these people became known in England as the separatists. Since they didn't want to obey the rules of the king's church, which was the law of the land, they began to have secret meetings. The king heard and about these gatherings. He began to put some in prison. He caused many problems uh, in trials and an attempt to get the people to bow to the laws of the Church of England. Can you see, friends, how so many people wanted to come to this land, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Let's fast forward to 1608. Some of the separatists moved to Holland seeking Christian freedom. They lived there for 12 years, but it was very difficult a life there. The men worked extremely hard but received very little to show for their hard labor. Um, the parents became concerned about their children, fearing that they might forget the culture and customs of their native England. And it, it seems the Lord used these concerns and, and trials and their difficult life to cause them to explore the possibilities of hope in a new land, going to a new world, a land called America. Isn't that interesting? Now let's fast forward a little bit more to uh, the pilgrims re returning uh, from Holland to England to set sail, to prepare, and to board a cargo ship acquired by businessmen. That cargo ship was called the Mayflower, and we know the story. And even though the Mayflower was not designed to carry passengers, the ship did bring 102 people from England to the New World in the year 1620. And sailing con conditions were awful, and the sailors on the ship became hostile toward the pilgrims due to their practice of singing spiritual songs and praying. Isn't that great? Even on the ship, right? And it was the, the conditions were horrendous from what we've read and what we understand from history. Even there was leaking as they were down below in the ship. There was leaking, and, and a lot of them caught pneumonia. It was just really harsh conditions. Um, sleeping quarters were on the floor below the main deck. They hardly had any light or hardly any fresh air. Can you imagine? Oh, it just makes me want to take a deep breath. Um, so let's fast forward a little bit more. The morning of November 9, 1620. 66 days later, wow, they saw the sandy beaches of Cape Cod in what is today the state of Massachusetts. Many people on the ship, led by the pilgrims, came out off, off the ship. They fell on their knees on that beach and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean. And now they were here in a strange land where there were no homes, no towns, no friends to greet them. They continued living aboard the ship. Did you know this? They continued living on the Mayflower for another 33 days because it was December now. By this point, December, um, it was winter. So they didn't have any homes, anything to live in, any shelter. So they lived on the ship, on the Mayflower, for another month. I'll fast forward a little bit more because we only got two minutes left. They committed themselves to Jesus Christ, and their faith in, in him is what gave them the courage and the strength to carry on and to prepare this free nation. By spring, half of the pilgrims and sailors had died. Three entire families died during the initial days. The rest were alone except for God and their commitment. It was a very harsh winter, but their, tr their trust in Christ prevailed because they had a vision of hope in this new land called America and the freedom that they didn't have because of the persecution of the Church of England that they had left. So in April of 1621, four months after arriving in America, the Mayflower headed back to England, but not one pilgrim returned. Did you hear that? We're talking about harsh conditions, sicknesses, frigid. They didn't have shelter. They started building, of course, 
but they stayed in America instead of returning to England. That speaks volumes. Then summer came. They started to build homes. Uh, most of the dangers of sickness, sicknesses uh, passed. They uh, f developed friendships with the Indians who allowed them to live in peace. And then it goes on. We know the rest of the story. But uh, November 9, 1620 um, is when they really landed. And that's the, the date where uh, a lot of people put November of 1620 is when the separatists became pilgrims um, sometime around there. But you get the idea why separatists. It is the will of God that we be sanctified. Our sanctification, it says in 1 Thessalonians, is God's will. What does that mean? To be separate, to be set apart from this world, to pursue holiness and righteousness, completely different life. And that's why these people came to this land. And so thank God for this land and these freedoms. And I hope you cultivate an attitude of gratitude this Thanksgiving. Oh, when we come back, we'll let you know what's going to happen the rest of the week. Actually, it's Thanksgiving week, so um, just count your blessings. We will wrap up the show in just a minute on Stand Up For The Truth. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Well, you will hear from Pastor Stephen Broden tomorrow. He is the senior pastor of Fair Park Bible Fellowship in Texas. He's featured in this year's documentary called Uncle Tom, An Oral History of the American Black Conservative. Stephen Broden tomorrow, political commentator, also the founder of Protect Life and Marriage Texas. And uh, we'll take a break on Thanksgiving Day and on Friday. You will hear from Sergeant Mike McGrew, um, a higher call to duty. He's got a website, SergeantMikeMcGrew.com. He will be with us, and uh, we're going to get an update from him. He's a former California police officer and first responder and 31-year career, 31 year career as a highly decorated police officer and major crimes detective. We'll ask him what he thinks about what's going on with the law and order issues in the country. So Mike McGrew. On Friday. Thank you guys. Continue to have a wonderful Thanksgiving week and God bless you. As always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.